Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hello there, and welcome back to the Doctrine and Covenants podcast. This will be for section 131. I shall read the heading. Instructions by Joseph Smith the Prophet, given at Ramos, Illinois, May 16th and 17th, 1843. Section 131 consists of three different doctrinal statements made by the Prophet Joseph Smith while visiting members of the church in Ramos, Illinois. They were recorded by his personal scribe, William Clayton, who was among those who accompanied him. The history of the church reads as follows. Tuesday, the 16th at 11 o'clock, with George Miller, William Clayton, Eliza and Lydia Partridge, and J.M. Smith, I started for Carthage, where we tarried about half an hour, conversing with different individuals. When we started for Ramos, arrived about half past 3 p.m. and stayed at William G. Perkins for the evening, then went to Benjamin F. Johnson's with William Clayton to sleep. Before retiring, I gave, brother Joseph, I, I gave Brother and Sister Johnson some instructions on the priesthood, and putting my hand on the knee of William Clayton, I said, Your life is hid with Christ in God, and so are many others. Nothing but the unpardonable sin can prevent you from inheriting eternal life, for you are sealed up by the power of the priesthood unto eternal life, having taken the step necessary for that purpose. Except a man and his wife enter into an everlasting covenant and be married for eternity while in this probation by the power and authority of the holy priesthood, they will cease to increase when they die, that is, they will not have any children after the resurrection. But those who are married by the power and authority of the priesthood in this life and continue without committing the sin against the Holy Ghost will continue to increase and have children in the celestial glory. The unpardonable sin is to shed innocent blood or be accessory thereto. All other sins will be visited with judgment in the flesh, and the spirit being delivered to the buffetings of Satan until the day of the Lord Jesus. The way I know in whom to confide, God tells me in whom I may place confidence. That was all by Joseph Smith. Uh, Tuesday the 16th at 11 o'clock with George Miller, William Clayton, Eliza, and Lydia Partridge, and J.M. Smith. I started for Carthage. I think I just read that. Okay. Um, Let's see here. Let's go to verse 1. In the celestial glory, there are three heavens or degrees. Orson Pratt said, The earth will have to pass away the same as our bodies do, and the dust thereof be mingled in a chaotic form. But that same being who organized the earth will again speak, and eternity will again hear his voice. And the materials of our earth will come together again, and when it unites them in one, and forms them into a world, it will be a glorious world. A habitation for immortal beings, for kings and for priests, and for those that have been faithful to the end. The Lord has not revealed to the church who will live in two of the three degrees in the celestial kingdom. Any discussion on this topic is speculation. Verse 2, And in order to obtain the highest, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. Now, what is the what is this order of the priesthood? Joseph Smith explained that there are three grand orders of priesthood, not three priesthoods, but three orders of the priesthood. There are the Levitical order, the Melchizedek order, and the Patriarchal order, as spoken of in this verse. All priesthood, he said, is Melchizedek. 
What was the power of Melchizedek, the prophet inquired, t'was not the priesthood of Aaron which administers in outward ordinances and the offering of sacrifices. Those holding the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood are kings and priests of the Most High God, holding the keys of power and blessings. In fact, that priesthood is a perfect law of theocracy and stands as God to give laws to the people, administering endless lives to the sons and daughters of Adam. Abraham says to Melchizedek, I believe all that thou hast taught me concerning the priesthood and the coming of the Son of Man. So Melchizedek ordained Abraham and sent him away. Abraham rejoiced, saying, Now I have a priesthood. As to what is involved in the patriarchal order of the priesthood, Elder McConkie observed, Joseph Smith says that in the temple of God there is an order of priesthood that is patriarchal. Go to the temple, he says, and find out about this order. So I went to the temple, and I took my wife with me, and we kneeled at the altar. There on that occasion we entered the two of us into an order of the priesthood. When we did it, we had sealed upon us on a conditioned basis, on a conditional basis, every blessing that God promised Father Abraham, the blessings of exaltation and eternal increase. The name of that priesthood, the name of that order of priesthood, which is patriarchal in nature because Abraham was a, a natural patriarch to his posterity, is the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. George Q. Cannon said, We believe in the eternal nature of the marriage relation, that man and woman are, de are destined as husband and wife to dwell together eternally. We believe that we are organized as we are with all these affections, with all this love for each other, for a definite purpose, something far more lasting than to be extinguished when death shall overtake us. We believe that when a man and woman are united as husband and wife and they love each other, their hearts and feelings are one, that that love is as enduring as eternity itself, and that when death overtakes them, it will neither distinguish, I'm sorry, it will neither extinguish nor cool that love, but that it will brighten and kindle it to a purer flame, and that it will endure through eternity, and that if we have offspring, they will be with us and our mutual associations will be one of the chief joys of the heaven to which we are hastening. God has restored the everlasting priesthood by which ties can be formed, consecrated and consummated, which shall be as enduring as we ourselves are enduring, that is, as our spiritual nature and husbands and wives will be united together, and they and their children will dwell and associate together eternally. And this, as I have said, will constitute one of the chief joys of heaven, and we look forward to it with delightful anticipation. Verse 3, And if he does not, he cannot obtain it. He may enter into the other, but that is the end of his kingdom. He cannot have an increase. Except a man and his wife enter into an everlasting covenant and be married for eternity, while in this probation, by the authority and power of the holy priesthood, they will cease to increase when they die. That is, they will not have any children after the resurrection. Melvin J. Ballard said, What do we mean by endless or eternal increase? We mean that through the, the righteousness and faithfulness of men and women who keep the commandments of God, they will come forth with celestial bodies, fitted and prepared to enter into, that, into their great and high and eternal glory in the celestial kingdom of God. And unto them, through their preparation, there will come children who will be spirit children. I don't think that is very difficult to comprehend and understand. The nature of the offspring is determined by the nature of the substance that flows in the veins of the being. When blood flows in the veins of the being, the offspring will be what blood produces, which is tangible flesh and bone. But when that which, it, which flows in the veins is spirit matter, a substance which is more refined and pure and glorious than blood, the offspring of such beings will be spirit children. By that I mean they will be in the image of the parents. They will have a spirit body and have a spark of the eternal or divine that always did exist in them. 
I'm also thinking that, uh, and I don't have a scripture reference for this or a quote by anybody, but I'm, I'm thinking that uh, Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother must also be able to make tangible bodies because Adam and Eve had a, t- a tangible terrestrial body and their, the, that which flowed in their veins was spirit matter like it will be when we are uh, when we receive terrestrial bodies for those that are translated during the millennium. Um, so Heavenly Fathers and Heavenly Mothers can make both spiritual and physical bodies. Verse 5, May 17, 1843, The more sure word of prophecy means a man's knowing that he is sealed up unto eternal life by revelation and the spirit of prophecy through the power of the holy priesthood. After a person has faith in Christ, repents of his sins, and is baptized for the remission of his sins, and receives the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands, which is the first comforter, then let him continue to humble himself before God, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and living by every word of God. And the Lord will soon say unto him, Son, thou shalt be exalted. When the Lord has thoroughly proved him, and finds that the man is determined to serve him at all hazards, then the man will find his calling and election made sure. Then it will be his privilege to receive the other comforter. That was by Joseph Smith. For a man to receive the other comforter is to have Christ appear to him and to see the visions of eternity. Mary G. Romney said, This gift of eternal life in the world to come may not, of course, be fully realized during earth life. An assurance that it will be obtained in the world to come may, however, be had in this world. As a matter of fact, the blessings of the celestial kingdom are promised only to those who have had such an assurance. The prophet Joseph taught that one so sealed would have within himself an assurance born of the Spirit that he would obtain eternal life in the world to come. He urgently and repeatedly admonished the saints of his day to obtain such an assurance by making their calling and election sure. It is this assurance within a person which brings to him the peace in this world which will sustain him in every tribulation. So taught the prophet in explanation of the words of Peter, although that apostle had heard the voice of God declare when he was with the Savior on the holy mount, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He nevertheless wrote to the saints, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto we do well that we take heed. Explaining this statement, the prophet said, Though they they might hear the voice of God and know that Jesus was the Son of God, this would be no evidence that their election and calling was made sure, that they had part with Christ and were joint heirs with him. They then would want that more sure word of prophecy that they were sealed in the heavens and had the promise of eternal life in the kingdom of God. Then, having this promise sealed unto them, it was an anchor to the soul, sure and steadfast. Though the thunders might roll and lightnings flash and earthquakes bellow and war gather thick around, yet this hope and knowledge would support the soul in every hour of trial, trouble, and tribulation. These fruits of the gospel assurance that we shall obtain eternal life, peace in this world sustained by such an assurance, and finally eternal life in the world to come are within the reach of all of us. We assume that because we are members of the church, we shall receive as a matter of course all the blessings of the gospel. I have heard people contend that they have a claim upon them because they have been through the temple, even though they are not careful to keep the covenants that they made there. I do not think this will be the case. I conceive the blessings of the gospel to be of such inestimable worth that the price of them must be very exacting. And if I correctly understand what the Lord has said on the subject, it is. The price, however, is within the reach of us all because it is not to be paid in money nor in any of this world's goods but in righteous living. What is required is wholehearted devotion to the gospel and unreserved allegiance to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Speaking to this point, the prophet taught that those who keep the commandments of the Lord and walk in his statutes to the end are the only individuals who shall receive the blessings. We must be willing to sacrifice everything. Through self-discipline and devotion, we must demonstrate to the Lord that we are willing to serve him under all circumstances. 
When we have done this, we shall receive an assurance that we shall have eternal life in the world to come. Then we shall have peace in this world. Verse 6, it is impossible for a man to be saved in ignorance. Though it is certainly true that there is no salvation in ignorance, meaning ignorance of the saving truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, contextually this statement is an extension of the previous verse, and as such means that there is no salvation independent of participation in the necessary ordinances of salvation. First Presidency, back in, a, back in uh, Brigham Young's time, said, If man would be great in goodness, they must be intelligent, for no man can do good unless he knows how. Therefore, seek after knowledge, all knowledge, and especially that which is from above, which is wisdom to direct in all things. And if you find anything that God does not know, you need not learn that thing, but strive to know what God knows and use that knowledge as God uses it. And then you will be like him, he, you will see as you are seen, and know as you are known, and have charity, love one another, and do each other good continually and forever, even as for yourselves. But if a man have all knowledge and does not use it for good, it will prove a curse instead of a blessing, as it did to Lucifer, the son of the morning. If a sinner is advised to repent and be baptized for remission of his sins and does it not, it will prove to his condemnation instead of a blessing, and he cannot receive the laying on of the hands of the elders for the reception of the Holy Ghost." James E. Talmadge said, Not all knowledge is of equal worth. The knowledge that constitutes the wisdom of the heavens is all embraced in the gospel as taught by Jesus Christ, and willful ignorance of this, the, the highest type of knowledge, will regulate its victim to the inferior order of intelligences. Another Latter-day Scripture may be cited as an inspired generalization embodying an eternal truth relating to our subject. Can it be otherwise? If a man be ignorant of the terms of which salvation is predicated, he is unable to comply therewith and consequently gain. The ignorance that thus condemns, us, condemns is responsible ignorance involving willful and sinful neglect. Lack of the saving knowledge that one has had to, no opportunity to acquire is just a temporary deficiency. For eternal justice provides means of education beyond the grave. Every one of us will be judged according to the measure of light and truth we have, have had opportunity to acquire. Verse 7, there is no such thing as immaterial matter. All spirit is matter, but it is more fine or pure and can only be discerned by purer eyes. We cannot see it, but when our bodies are purified, we shall see it. We shall see that it is all matter. I bear testimony that these things are true and that uh, that our Heavenly Father has a body of flesh and bones and that we will too. And, that, and when, we're, when we're resurrected, I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.